0: Thank you, Nick. Good to see you and I miss you, brother. Uh, I appreciate you reading for us and praying for us. Uh, welcome Mercy House. Uh, glad uh, you're with us here on the live stream. And also welcome to those of you that maybe you've never been on a live stream service with it, uh, before. Maybe you saw someone post uh, the, uh, the live stream on uh, their uh, Facebook wall. And so we're really glad that you're here as well. We've been going through the book of Philippians, and uh, those of you that have your scripture journals, you've been getting those out. And uh, we've uh, just heard the scripture read, and that's the scripture I'm going to preach on. And, and we've been seeing some reoccurring themes in the book of Philippians. We've been seeing that there's this tight-knit family that uh, is, is the church of Philippi. And we see Paul saying how affectionate he feels toward uh, the, the Philippians and how he's praying for them to abound even in, in more love uh, for one another. And uh, we we also see uh, that they're on mission together. I mean, the, the book itself is like a thank you note for them being gospel uh, partners with him in ministry and, and giving of their finances and praying uh, for him. And, and then they themselves are confirming and defending the gospel using the words of Paul. Uh, And so they're not just giving and praying for the mission that's going on out out there where Paul is, but they're also participating in it. And then uh, obviously they're also centered on the gospel. Um, Paul has mentioned the gospel in such a short amount of of verses already so many times. He calls them saints in Christ Jesus. Uh, He says grace and peace from the Father through Jesus Christ. Uh, He talks about partnership in the gospel. He talks about them being partakers of gospel grace. He talks about the defense and confirmation of the gospel that I spoke of earlier. He he talks about what's happening to him and his imprisonment and how God's using it to advance the gospel. He's even saying that his enemies who are preaching out of bad motives are advancing the gospel and so it's very obvious that paul is centered on the gospel and so we see this this gospel centered tight-knit family that's on this very important mission uh, to make disciples who make disciples and you see you see that thread throughout scripture throughout throughout the new testament right in the 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 people of god being centered on the gospel being a family and being on mission together and you know, I, th- I think most people would agree with that. Yeah, but they- you see that when you read your Bibles. Uh, why, does it happen- why doesn't it happen more often? Why doesn't that kind of church not happen? And I think the short answer is because it's costly. It's costly to be that kind of church. Strength- uh, staying true to the gospel and the, the ethical stances that are part of living a life worthy of the gospel uh, causes you to be out of step with the world and you're thought of, Really, at best, you're thought weird, and at worst, you're thought a bigot or a menace to society. That's, that's costly. Um, to be a tight-knit family, right? Building, like, real relationships in the church. It's costly. I mean, it takes your time out of an already busy schedule. Uh, <clears throat> you're having to do family with fellow sinners. Though they be saved by grace, filled with the Spirit, we're all still sinners, and we're offending each other, and we're having to work through hurt, and... And that is, that's costly. Um, the, the mission itself is costly. <clears throat> Making disciples who make disciples. This, this is no small task. It is oftentimes slow. Uh, it, it doesn't always work like we thought it was going to work. All kinds of things that make this difficult. And then on top of that, you're asked to make disciples not just in your own backyard, but participate in the making of disciples throughout all the nations. And so now you're praying for people you may never see, you're giving money and and not receiving any kind of direct benefit from that. This this is, is costly. Did I mention it? it's costly, right? I think this is in large part why uh, oftentimes, especially in the American church, that we don't see this like gospel-centered family on a mission uh, to make disciples uh, for for Jesus. What what Paul is arguing in this passage is that actually you get a lot more gain from participating in that kind of church that is gospel-centered family on mission. There's 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 much more gain to be had in that kind of church than. Uh, a church that does not resemble what we see in the New Testament. And so what is this gain that I'm talking about? Right? These are, so three questions that kind of give us a guide here. What is this gain? Uh, how do I get it? And how do I then live once I get the gain? So what is the gain? How do I get it? And how do I then live once I have this gain? So what is the gain? The gain is Christ, the gain. Is Christ? Uh, Paul's describing at least four ways that he's reflecting on the gain of Christ, right, that he's getting. Uh, he's experiencing the gain of Christ uh, through, uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit. He says that he, he speaks of the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? The Spirit of Jesus Christ. I thought he was talking about the Holy Spirit. He is talking about the Holy Spirit. So is he saying that the Holy Spirit and Jesus are the same person? And no, he's not. He would be, if he's saying that, he'd be what's called a modalist, where God's just one being and just shows up in different modes. That is not what he's saying. But what he is saying is that even though he has a relationship with the Father through the Son, that the the, the means by which that is happening is that that that, that it, it's through the Spirit, but that even though it's through the Spirit, it's still centered on Christ. It's a Christ-centered experience with the triune God of Father and Son and Spirit. Uh, Jesus even speaks of the Holy Spirit working in this way. John 16, verses 14, 15, he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. He says, he, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and he'll declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So what's Jesus saying there? He's saying that the Holy Spirit it is taking from what belongs to Jesus. Say, well, what belongs to Jesus? Well, what belongs to Jesus is what he purchased on the cross, right? the gain of salvation for sinners. The Holy Spirit is taking that gain that Christ has purchased on the cross and he's delivering it to sinners like you and me. He's saving us from that sin. He's, he's also continuing to grow us and transform us out of those old sinful patterns. And so through the Holy Spirit, Paul is getting more of Christ. And that's gain. Now, he's also experiencing more uh, the gain of Christ uh, through suffering. He says in verse 20 Christ will be honored in my body that that whether by death or excuse me, whether by life or by death. Now think of this, he's in prison. What's his greatest concern? Right, it's not that the food is bad and that he's being tortured. His greatest concern is I I want to honor Christ in my body. Whether I'm tortured, imprisoned, even if I lose my life, I, I want to honor Christ. And what he understands is that through suffering, for Christ's sake, he gets more of Christ. And, and he's excited about that. He wants to lean into that. Now, Jesus taught the same thing, right? Jesus says in Matthew 5.10, for instance, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And think about what he's what he's saying there. He's saying, blessed are you, thriving are you, happy are you, full of life are you when you're persecuted for the sake of Christ your King. Why? because you get more of the king and more of his kingdom. This is more of Christ, right? So he's getting more of Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit in the midst of suffering for Christ's sake. This is is the gain. Now he also is is saying that experiencing this gain of of Christ is happening through his participation in gospel ministry. He he says uh, in verse 22, he talks about fruitful labor for me, now, is he saying he picked up a part-time job at an orchard or something? No, he's talking about gospel ministry. He, he's saying it, as long as I stay in this body, in this life, I'm gonna be participating in gospel ministry. I'm gonna make disciples, and those disciples are gonna make disciples, and this is gonna be like a fruitful orchard that's being cultivated by the power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel. And so he he's saying, when I do that, I get more of Christ. I get gain. I get the ultimate gain. And that is Jesus Christ. Again, same thing Jesus taught his disciples. Matthew 28, some of you are pretty familiar with that. He's given them the great commission. Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now hear what Jesus is saying. He's saying, as you're cooperating with King Jesus in making disciples, King Jesus is gonna be with you. Now in the King James Version, this this says, go make disciples, and then the next, the the part about Jesus being with you, it says, and lo, I will be with you always. So go make disciples, and lo, I will be with you always. And so sometimes I've heard some old-time preachers say, if there's no go, there's no lo, right? If you don't go on the mission of making disciples, Jesus is not with you in that concentrated way that Paul is experiencing as he goes in obedience to the command. So if you do go, there is low, right? If I go on the mission of making disciples in obedience to my King, there is low. He is with us in the midst of that. We get more of Jesus. This is what Paul's declaring. He's like, my greatest gain, I'm getting it through the power of the Holy Spirit, working in the midst of suffering as I participate in gospel mission. Even, even though it's difficult, there's great gain. And then on top of all that, he says he's experiencing the gain of Christ by his, through his anticipation of getting more of Christ in eternity. Did you catch that? Uh, I mean, this whole the, 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 this this whole perspective on, on on Paul's part, where he says, "I desire, my desire is to depart and be with Christ." You see what he's doing there? He's like not saying, "My desire is to depart and play endless rounds of golf." My desire is to depart and eat high calorie food and never get fat. Right? My my desire is to depart and fly around with angels' wings and play harps. No, he says, my my desire is to depart and be with Christ. And this is his ultimate gain. so here's this guy. He's experiencing the work of the Spirit as he's suffering because he's on mission to make disciples among the nations. And and as he gets more and more of Christ in that, it just causes him to long for what he's gonna get when he departs from this world and gets more of Jesus Christ. Now, again, this this is what Jesus teaches his disciples as well. John 14, he's trying to calm them down. He's trying to comfort them. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, now again, you, you see that and, and, you, and you say, what is Jesus promising in the, in, the, in the future, in the eternal future? Is he saying, hang in there guys, when you get to heaven, you're gonna get a mansion in heaven, right? No, He's, he, he says, I'm preparing a place uh, for you. Why? So you can dwell with me. I'm gonna give you myself. And, and yes, you're experiencing Christ through the spirit now in the midst of suffering on the mission of making disciples, but we're gonna experience in an even greater way in the life to come. And and this, this it motivates us, it encourages us, it continues to help us to persevere in these difficult times when we are experiencing uh, that suffering. Uh, there's there's a few little prayers that we have from St. Patrick. I, I, you may not have known this, but St. Patrick is, there's a lot more about St. Patrick than like, turning the river green and drinking a lot of beer. Like this guy was uh, a really fruitful evangelist in Ireland, right? And, and brought the gospel to uh, Ireland at a time when it was basically completely pagan. And so we have a few prayers that, are, that we have left over from, from his writings. And this is one paragraph of a prayer called the Breastplate of St. Patrick. And this is something he would pray for himself. And he prays this, Christ be with me, Christ before me. Christ behind me, Christ deep within me, Christ below me, Christ above me, Christ at my right hand, Christ at my left hand, Christ as I lie down, Christ as I arise, Christ as I stand, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. You could just, you could just obviously St. Patrick, you saying, Christ, Christ is my greatest gain and that he wants Christ to be in every, every nook and cranny of his life. So if Christ is this great game, how do I get it? How do I get the game? And the short answer is through faith. It's through faith. That's how you get the game. Um, look at Philippians 1, 26. Paul says, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So There's letting them know. You, you get this Christ Jesus and the joy that is in Christ Jesus. How do you get that? Through the faith, right? And so one way to think about this is through faith in the faith. It's through faith in the faith, right? So sometimes faith is used as something exercised by a person, right? Say, I have faith in Jesus. I put my faith in Christ. Um, and that's used in the Bible and it's appropriate, but there's also times in the Bible when it's used as the identifiable body of truth that must be believed upon in order to receive the gain that is in Christ. And I think this is what he's talking about here. How do you get the gain? Well, you faith in the faith. And uh, he uses this idea of the faith in multiple places. Here's a couple. First Corinthians 16:13. be watchful, stand firm in the faith. 2 right? Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Colossians 2, 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, see, body of knowledge, abounding in thanksgiving. And so this, this belief in the truth claims of uh, the Christian faith. Uh, he even clarifies that in the very next verse in 1 first. first uh, Philippians 1, verse 27, where he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side, what? For the faith of the gospel. All right. So this faith, this identifiable body of truth is the gospel. Right? And so this good news, this gospel, is that Christ has died to freely give you the gain of forgiveness and new life. And you trust in that gain that he's purchased on the cross. And when you do that, you get the gain. And you don't just get your debt taken away. That'd be be pretty awesome. Just just the debt taken away. But you get Christ. That's what Paul's saying. He's like, I didn't just get my sins forgiven. I got Jesus. I got reconciled to God such that I now have Christ through the Spirit, Christ in my suffering, Christ in my ministry, and I'm going to get more of Christ in the life to come. And so how did this happen? It happened through faith, right? That Christ has died to give us this gain as a free gift, and we receive that gain by faith. Um, So this this may be something that, that you've never done before. You've heard of Christ, you've heard of, of Christianity, you thought maybe it was just like a r- bunch of rules of doing, you know, be a good person, but, but honestly, it's, 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 that's not really the core of it. The core of it is, is that Christ has died in your place for your sins and, and because of that, he's able to give you this great gain and you can receive that gain as a free gift by faith. So this, this is how you get the gain, there's no other way. We're, we're used to earning gain that's usually how we get gain. We say, I want this gain, and so I'm gonna do X, Y, or Z to get the gain. That's, that's not how the gospel works. How the gospel works is you see your need for the gain and you receive it by faith as a free gift. So if you haven't done that, I encourage you to do that today, to reach out to God in prayer and, and to receive that gain by faith. So then we, we see the gain, we see how to get it. How does that change our lives? How, how do we live now that we have this ultimate gain in Christ? And the, the short answer is we risk. We risk. Now think about this verse. that is one of the most famous verses in Philippians. Philippians one twenty one. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Think about that. What is he saying? For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he, he's saying Christ is such a treasure to me that it is over and against any other gain that I could ever consider in this world. And because of that, I live for Christ. Because of that, I'm not even afraid to die. Because what do I get if I die? I get more of Christ. <laughs> so if I, the ultimate gain that, that I desire is Christ. I'm invincible, right? There, there's an invincibility about this statement that's so powerful every, every, every time i read this right paul's like i live i get christ i die i get more christ like what can they do to me and, and, and i think for for many of us we do like this worst case scenario thinking and we, we think what's the worst that can happen right and then we think about the worst that can happen and 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 then we kind of drive ourselves crazy thinking about the worst thing that can happen but as a christian you ought to go all the way to the end of that road of worst case scenario thinking. You say, what? What's the worst thing that could happen? I could die a torturous death for my faith. Uh, what, what, what would be the outcome? I get more of Christ. I get more of Christ, which is my ultimate gain. And then I work backwards. And I go, okay, well, if if my worst case scenario has the outcome as me getting my ultimate gain, then every lesser outcome ends up in the same place. I get more of Christ. And so again, there's like this invincibility that you, you you can see in what Paul writes in that short little verse. For to me to live is Christ, to die is Christ. Like either way, I get Christ and I get my ultimate gain. So that, again, it, with that invincibility comes this freedom to risk. You say, well, what kind of risk are you talking about? So I think two categories. So risk in relationships and risk in regards to our money and stuff. I think are the two two big categories. So risk in relationships. So think about this. If Christ is my greatest gain, I'm gonna be pointing people, Christian and non-Christian, I'm gonna be pointing them to Christ. That's gonna be my, my, my whole passion, my whole vision is is I want to point people to Christ because He's my greatest gain. Now think about this with some specifics. So how does this affect the way you raise your kids? So instead of raising your kids to um, desire the American dream as their greatest gain, you instead raise them to see Christ as their greatest gain. So some of the things that we, we did with our kids is we had them read uh, missionary stories, missionary biographies. Uh, we had them praying for the nations, aware of some of the things going on in the world that brothers and sisters were going through. Uh, we gave sacrificially for gospel mission, both of our time, our talent, our treasure. I mean, we picked up and moved across the country to plant a church. And, and so in and every way we could, we would try to communicate to our kids, that, that, that Christ is our ultimate gain. And that sounds all good, right? And then, you know, at three o'clock in the morning when you're lying awake and thinking about this stuff, you think, oh my gosh, my kids are gonna go into international missions. They're gonna risk their lives for the gospel. Oh my gosh, do I want that to happen? <laughs> it's, it's a cost, it's a cost. But if Christ is my ultimate gain, then it makes perfect sense that those those kids would be taught to, to whatever God calls them to do, treasure Christ above all things. What, what about in the way we, we risk in our relationships in the church? Um, <clears throat> instead of just hanging out, having a good time, nothing wrong with that. We need to do that often, no, no doubt. But in, in, if we just do that, and we just do that with the people that we kind of have an affinity for, and we enjoy them, they're our buddies, um, that's not really showing that Christ is our ultimate Value. And so instead, we're, we're pointing our brothers and sisters in Christ to sacrificial giving and, and laying down their lives for the gospel and, and pushing toward people in relationship, even when it's difficult. That, that is showing that Christ is our greatest gain. Or pushing into relationships with people that are different than us, different culturally, racially, socioeconomically, e- e- even different age groups. Like, like you're pushing into relationship that's not necessarily something that's like, well, we have a lot in common and that's there's an affinity, but you're like, no, this makes Christ look like he's the ultimate game because indeed he is right? and so these are all ways that we we risk in relationship for the for the glory of, of Christ in his name there's risking for Christ's sake when we share the gospel with people that are not yet Christians. I think this is like one of the ways that we Show how valuable Christ is, really. In some ways, the most we're risking so much when we talk to our neighbor, or our family member, or a friend, or a coworker, and we tell them about how much Jesus means to us. There's a tremendous amount of risk that is taken there, and it just shows how valuable Christ is to us. We also show uh, the, the value of Christ when we risk in the area of our money and our stuff. Think about that. So if I'm thinking in my mind, how can I leverage my money and my stuff in order to point to the reality that Christ is my ultimate gain? So of course I'm gonna be generous. I'm gonna be generous to the church, I'm gonna be generous to, to people around me, for Christ's sake. I'm gonna be generous to international missions, right? Like like these things, from a worldly perspective, they make no sense. They make no sense. I mean. But we see a lot of people who have shown how worthy Christ is to them by giving to our ministry from the outside. Many people have never even been to a service here at Mercy House. And they've given a ton of money for His name's sake to show that He is their greatest gain. And then we as a church, giving away 10% of what we take in in our membership offering. Like, why are we doing that? Why? We're doing that to to show that Christ is our ultimate value. We want to see the gospel not just be planted here in Amherst. We want to see it planted beyond in New England and uh, throughout the world. And so when we give like that, we're generous like that with our stuff and our money, then we're showing that Christ is our ultimate gain. So again, why why don't Christians live that way oftentimes? a couple of reasons I think. One is, is, sometimes people who think they're Christians are not Christians, right? And, and so they, they, they've been in church, uh, they know Bible stories, they're generally a good person, they like worship songs, um, but, to, but to be honest, their, their religion is really serving the self. And so they've kind of co-opted Christ and, and, and the church to try to serve their own interests. And so really the Holy Spirit through the word of God has has to turn the light on in our minds and hearts. And I think many of us, we've been in this place, myself included, going to church, being a you know, good-ish person, thinking, of course I'm a Christian, right? And then realizing, oh my, I'm, I'm not a Christian. Like, I, I don't value Christ as my ultimate gain. And so again, if, if that's where you are this morning, to, to repent of that, to, to admit that, to say, you know what? Christ, you're not my ultimate gain. All these other things are my ultimate gain. And repenting of that and asking for him to save you from that. Because it's it's actual insanity to not see that Christ is the ultimate gain. Sorry. <laughs> he really is. Right? Knowing you. There is no greater thing. we just saying that. Like, that's really true. And so when we don't think that and we don't believe that, we're we're, in, we're insane. Our, 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 our minds are, are deceived, we're blinded. And so my my heart, my hope is that this morning, folks are saying that light's coming on, you're going, no, Christ is the ultimate gain and you're placing faith in that gain he's purchased for you at the cross. The second reason I think is, as people who are already Christians, that I don't necessarily always live like this, and this is all of us, right, is, is that we're tempted to believe that the gain of this world is greater than the gain of Christ. It's, it's a temptation we're, we're weak we're tempted right like like, like it was, our hearts are just are so weak often and, and and our hearts are just just kind of dragged away from the reality that Christ is our ultimate uh, gain and we you know this life is is hard even though we live in a pretty comfortable you know place in terms of our country and and, uh, and, 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 you know, when compared to other places who have an amazing amount of instability and, and here we are uh, still wanting comfort, wanting the world to come in and to save us. And so how do you get out of that temptation? Well, you, you're doing it right now. You, you're listening to the Word of God. You're, you're considering what is true. You're singing songs about what is true. And what is true is that Christ is the ultimate Gain, this is why we need to gather every week. We need to come together in Bible study. We need to be reading scripture on a regular basis. Not just so we can get a little self-help for the day, but so that we can behold Christ yet again. And we see his glory, we see his weight, we see his, his gain, that he is the ultimate gain. And then we go, oh yeah, I'm reminded to live as Christ and to die his gain. And so when we think of it in that way, we realize that the cost, the greater cost is actually to reject Jesus. This this is what Jesus is saying in places like uh, Luke 9.25. What does a profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses or forfeits his soul? Now think about what he's saying there. He's saying that what the world is offering is a complete sham. Even if you could get everything, 100% of what the world is offering, it still wouldn't be worth it. The gain of that would not be worth it. Now, he's also saying how much of a gain it is to get Christ. He's, he's saying that in comparison to 100% of what the world could offer in terms of gain, Jesus is a greater gain. Right? And this, this, is, this is what our hearts need on a regular basis, be reminded of that. That Even if I had 100% of what the world had to offer, it still wouldn't compare to the treasure that Christ is. And so there's, there's a cost of, of rejecting Jesus more so than accepting him, right? There's a cost of non-discipleship. I, I, I like this little phrase. I got this from Dallas Willard, who uh, has passed away now, but is a, was a writer and a speaker and a philosophy professor, actually. And he says this about non-discipleship. Non-discipleship costs abiding peace, a life penetrated throughout by love, Faith that sees everything in light of God's overriding governance for good. Hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances. Power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. In short, it costs exactly that abundance of life Jesus said he came to bring. And so when we re- reject Jesus as our ultimate gain, we're actually losing everything we really, our hearts really were longing for in the first place the good that we were desiring, that we thought was gonna come from the gain that the world offered, was a total sham. And so the things our hearts are longing for, they really are found in Christ. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And, and this is what, is what is true. Now does that mean we need to go move out into the desert and become a monk and just think about Christ all day? No, I don't think so. I think you still, you're relating in those same relationships and you're dealing with the same money and stuff except now you have a new value system. And because now you see that to live as Christ, to die is gain. You relate differently and with, with people and with your money and stuff. And I actually think that brings more glory to, to Christ than if you moved out in the desert and became a monk. Because you're showing that you can stand up to the temptation that this world is to think that it is offering a greater gain. And so as you relate with the people in your life and the money and stuff in your life, you're showing over and over and over and over again, you're saying, no, Christ is a greater gain. And I can even interact with these things in such a way that they become subservient to the King Jesus, right? And this is most glorious, for Jesus, and it is most joy filling for us. I, mean, I love this, Paul, when he writes in Philippians 1.25, Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So he he knows. He's like, I know if if you'll get this, and you'll you'll be able to say with Paul, to live as Christ to die as gain. The result will be a great amount. So with that in mind, just kind of what we've heard about the gain that is in Christ, how we get the gain, and how we then live in light of that gain, let's enter into a time of prayer, which Tommy's going to lead us in. And yes, he's wearing the same shirt I am, and that was not planned. So I'm just going to get that out there. So, all right, Tommy, would you come lead us in prayer?